0: You are listening to The Apex Hour, hosted by Ryan Paul, on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This show allows more personal time with our guests, allowing them to give us their stories and opinions. We will also give you new music to listen to, hoping you enjoy some new sounds and genres. Welcome to this episode of The Apex Hour. Welcome to The Apex Radio Hour. I am producer Sophia Javaj and I'm joined with Apex director and professor of history, Ryan Paul, and our special guest, Asher Swan. I'm turning it over to you, Ryan.
1: Thank you, Sophie. We're so excited to have you here in the studio. Thanks, man. Uh, I feel honored, like I said, to be here, man. Well, we love the apex of the air, and we're excited to to hear your story. So first of all, Asher, you are the university photographer. I am. am. And you've been doing that for a long time.
2: Uh, Full time. I've been here almost six years, but then I was also the student photographer from 2009 to 2015 while I was going to school here. Super cool. So uh, I always like to start
1: with a, a how we get to now question, right? So okay. what, what led you to be where you are
2: Wow, or to do what you do? How, how far back do you want to go? Far back as you want. I mean, well, I I mean, you know,
1: when a man and woman fall in love and have feelings, (laughs) you don't have to go far that
2: far back. It was a cold morning on. No, um, it all kind of started when my dad went to Toys R Us and he was getting his last Christmas present for us kids. And he walked down the toy aisle aisle and picked up a toy camera, Uh, Fisher Price toy camera from the 70s. You probably remember the orange and white one Mm -hmm. with the yellow flash. That was my first camera and so he gave me that for christmas and it was basically like my teddy bear my blanket i just had it everywhere and you know the thing that really i think back to the thread to what leads now and it's kind of intrinsic is as a kid as you're running around and you're seeing all these adults what's the one thing you want the most to be like them to be to get attention oh yeah i guess all right attention you want to be seen you want to be validated so whenever i would hold my camera up my toy camera to whatever adult they would stop what they were doing, and they would give me a smile. And It was positive engagement. It was positive reinforcement, no matter what. I was always getting that. And even to this day, you know, 40 years later, I can still point my camera at people, and I'm still getting that, smi- that positive interaction, that smile, that that engagement, and that's kind of... It, it just kind of resonates with me on why I do what I do now, because for me, it's a very positive interaction between two people. I'm stopping time for a moment and creating memories. So is it I mean, you feel
1: a connection in some way. I mean, it's not like you and I are talking now. I mean, when you when you do that,
2: you have this physical object mm-hmm. that's kind of in between you. How does that how do people respond to that? Um, It's all in the perception, right? For For me, I'm making a connection in that hundredth of a second, but that hundredth of a second will last forever depending on the context of the image, right? A brief moment with you or me in a headshot session, depending on how it goes, you're going to remember that. It's going to have some kind of impact because I'm taking a picture that maybe you don't see yourself, but the rest of the world sees you. And that's my goal in being a photographer is I want people to see you the way that the world sees you, not necessarily the way you see yourself. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I, I talk to my students about this idea of when we talk about
1: history that, that, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that I became a historian, I can still remember this, is it was a, a photograph of the dedication of the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh-huh. And, and somehow when I saw that, that, this thing clicked in my mind that realized that when that flash bulb or whatever went off, that each one of those people went home. They had yep. people that loved them and hated them. They had people that, that cared for them. They had kids that they wanted to take care of or or had wants and needs and dreams. And it connected me to the past with that visual image in a way that, that I hadn't thought about before, right? Uh-huh. That we see these old pictures in these yep. dusty books and, and yep. not think about the fact that, that these are human beings. Yep. That did something after that, like you say, that, that second was a hundredth done.
2: Hundredth of a second. There was a, a time frame beforehand where the photographer was like, "All right, guys, get ready. We're going to take a picture. Take the picture, and it's done. And everybody parts ways. And now we have this thing. That now we open up a book, and we have this picture that we're all talking about to this day. So, do
1: you find that that you prefer taking photos or photo? I mean, like, what are people reflecting on you when they see your book? Do you have lots of photos of yourself? or do you spend a lot of time thinking about how to capture the lives of others?
2: I spend way more time capturing, thinking about how I'm gonna capture the world around me rather than me. My mom always complains, I'm your biggest fan, but I don't have any pictures of you. You know, So whenever somebody does take a picture of me, I always send it to my mom so she can have this thing, but it's never about me. It's never about how I'm represented, it's how I'm representing the world and how I can kind of portray it in a way that's resounding and has impact. And, has impact
1: yeah so so what then is your view of the world in that way I mean what are you trying I mean overall I I realize that that every photograph well I would assume not everyone but many of them are individually tailored to an idea of why you're doing you know I book you to come and take pictures of this event or you're at a football game right but but I have seen some of your work that that you get to choose Mm -hmm. individually so so as a photographer what is your world view what what part of the world are
2: you trying to communicate and capture that's personal to you Um that it's still a beautiful place and there there is there is um beauty amongst all the chaos that is out there you know and and there is a story to tell in every single image and um one of the psychologists that I'm going to talk about, one of his th- uh, theories that he worked in and one of the processes he did, he used personal pictures from families for therapy and used their own pictures to help them work through their issues. And so, for me, <clears throat> I just think it's interesting to, it's just a, it's an interesting field of work. You know, not many people can go around and basically stop time and create these things that last pretty much forever. And Being able to do that in an artistic manner and understanding the science of how photography works and creating compositions and thinking about the lighting. And for me, it's about the audience. It's not just me in the room taking the picture. There's a few hundred people with me, obviously, metaphorically, that are going to see this image and perceive it, hopefully, in the way that I'm hoping, than the way that I'm taking it. It's all about perception. And each person is going to see and feel things differently. So my goal is to relate how I'm feeling about something sometimes in my imagery. Like my glass series, it's all about color theory. It's all about emotion. Even though it's a simple piece of glass, I'm hoping that, that the way I photograph it, the way I portray it evokes emotion, and that evokes a way to feel about something. So I would imagine that that taking photographs of
1: people you know, or, or sporting events or whatever, that it's a different skill set than, than like art photography or I mean how what are the 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 intricacies or the, the finite differences in the skill set between
2: these these ideas that you do um, when it comes to the stuff I do say for campus obviously there is a context in marketing the campus and capturing images that best portray the school and even when I'm shooting a football game I'm still using a little bit of artistry I'm still thinking about the composition. I'm still thinking about the angle and a way to make it look interesting even though it's just a football guy in a jersey. I'm thinking about a way that portrays it in a really interesting, compelling way. Um, There are different ways I approach things like in my studio, I'll be up there at 2 o'clock in the morning working on my stuff and I'm definitely thinking about it differently than shooting 1,500 pictures during a football game. I'm, I'm more methodical about it. I'm more timely thinking about the context, the purpose behind it. Um so yeah so how much of what you do is is art versus science Mm. I think it's an amalgamation of the two to a degree um photography even though it's a 2d thing you're using your camera and you're combining the three elements of um your iso your shutter speed and your f-stop to create this balance of exposure and um For me, it's just a matter of understanding that whatever you're going to do is going to be seen and portrayed in a specific way. And so when I'm out there shooting, the balance of art and science is in, in, because I, a lot of my work when I first started when I was a kid was very much art based. I wasn't out shooting people. I didn't really get into shooting people until I was a photojournalist. So the amalgamation of art and science for me is kind of intrinsic because I'm taking a lot of the history of what I learned as a fine art photographer and incorporating into this advertising marketing realm. So,
1: so you're going to have to step back for a second and, and tell me, the ISO and F-stop. What I mean, I, I guess that's my first question is those basic things, what goes into taking a good photograph? What? Whoa. First of all, define ISO and f-stop, and then tell me in your mind what goes into taking a good picture.
2: So ISO is the same equivalent of what film speed would be. So when you had film cameras, you'd go by 100, 400, 800 film. So the ISO is direct correlation to that. So it would basically have more chemicals to allow for more light. You go buy 100 film if you're shooting outside, so you have all that extra light. You buy 800 if you're shooting inside and you're shooting like a birthday party. Same kind of correlation to when you're using ISO. If I'm outside shooting in sun, I'm at ISO 100. Same thing as film speed. If I'm indoors, I'm shooting at 800, maybe 2000, to help me the same kind of relevance of I need more chemicals on the sensor, but obviously it's digital. And then the f-stop is where you see the correlation of the depth of field when something's in focus and then something is out of focus, and understanding how that can be a lot of the artistry in your image. Playing with that depth of field and where the focus is will draw the person in and keep them there. One of my goals as a photographer is, I want you to stay on the image as long as possible. Um, inherently, it takes anywhere from half a second to a second for someone to decide if an image is good or not. It used to be three seconds, but now it's gotten down to a half a second to a second because we're inundated with images. And because you have such a compendium of images in your head, you can make a decision really fast, right? So that f-stop and the ISO, they work in conjunction also with the shutter speed, which is how long the shutter stays open to get a fast action shot, and then a a slow shutter spot shot, Mm -mm. right? So how I incorporate all that into my imagery, I walk into a room, I look at the lighting, I set up my lighting, and then I go into, say for this apex event, right? Your, Your judges, right? They were really well lit. Mm-hmm. But when the guy was up at the lectern, he didn't have any light on him. So I had to think about how to expose for both aspects. And that all kind of came down to my shutter speed. Right? F-stop was set, ISO was set, but then I had to work my shutter speed to expose for the guy at the lectern, then also the judges. So it's always this balance of science and understanding those settings to a degree that you don't have to think about the settings. You have it down so well that now you can think about the artistry. You can think about the composition. You can think about how you're going to lay out your shot because you're not thinking about the f-stop. You're not thinking about the ISO or the shutter speed because it's so ingrained into your brain.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned the the film speed. And, and I think, you know, your career spans, obviously, film, film, and, and digital. I was developing film at 10, so. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right, and... and uh, I notice that faint chemical smell that still exists from yeah, here. As yeah. we walk, anytime in. I see a red light, I'm like, "Oh, wow!" Yeah. Well, that's, I'm glad that's <laughs> what you think of when you see a red light. But uh, but the, the the question I have is that you, your career spans the breadth of this really expansive and, and changing nature of technology from yeah. film cameras to to digital. What talk about that when you when you talk about that process in your own work, and then also talk about what What you think if there's anything that we've we've lost in some ways oh, or yeah. gained,
2: I think okay, so for me, it was film all the way up until gosh, I would say two thousand three I think is when I got my first digital camera. it was super remedial point and shoot, you know, and I was playing with that, um, but before that, I was one of those people who. Obviously, you know, I was developing film at 10 years old, and then we moved away from that old guy's house that I couldn't develop film anymore. We moved away when I was about 12. Um, and so I was relegated to doing the Costco, you know, drop off the film, you know, and wait. And then your parents go to Costco, and they'd break off, and I'd go around and finger through the fix, and get my pictures, be all excited. But what really switched was when I moved to digital in 2003, and I was just using that. Um, but really, what advanced my digital process was when I became a photojournalist, um, and working in that industry because there's no time for film anymore, they didn't do the pictures by the end of the day you didn't have the time to go to your dark room and wait mm-hmm. overnight and then FedEx it over to the next guy. you had to by your editor was calling you at ten o'clock where are my images so that aspect expedited it greatly for me um using digital peer and there memory cards i have a f- I think I have a five hundred and twelve megabyte memory card <laughs> yeah, five hundred and twelve megabytes. we haven't even gotten to a gig yet, you know. And so the evolution of that has been very interesting in correlation to what you're talking about. Your second part of your question is what we've lost, I think, is the fact that it's so immediate. I think people have lost the, the intrinsic nature of how, how photography can have an effect. We all have cell phones, and we all have probably 10,000 pictures that we never look at on our cell phones. Rather than living in the moment, we take the picture of the moment and we put it away so we can look at it later. But how often do you look at it later? Right, and so the immediacy of of things, um, I think, is what we've what what has been lost because growing up in film, having to wait, not knowing if your settings are right, you know, you take your twenty four pictures, you take your six pictures, you go in the dark room, you shake your little thing. Oh man, that was the wrong one, right? Or you shake it and be perfect, You'd be like, yes, I'm I'm doing it right, you know. And so that aspect, I think, is a little bit lost in the immediacy of just how fast we can get things as compared to taking the time and understanding things and waiting just a little bit, you know. Yeah. How, how is,
1: I mean, I, I keep thinking about your your line of work where you mentioned about we all have cell phones and we probably all think that we're really good photographers, right? At least the commercials that you see is like, oh, look at this great mode, you know, mm-hmm. why? So have you noticed that, that a a downgrading or a a degradation of of picture taking in the sense i mean why why should we you know why should we hire you as opposed to having four or five people
2: with cell phones just snapping photos um hire me because it's like that whole that nike thing you always go back to that nike designer you know that you're not paying for you know 30 seconds or the half hour you're spending you're paying for the 20 years experience to make mm-hmm. this as easy a process for you as possible right and so when we have cell phones it's easy to just kind of put up in in the, the okay we got our picture but when you bring in somebody who understands how to build those interpersonal relationships before the picture have a conversation with you make you feel comfortable set up the right light that accentuates you makes you look good, so therefore it goes back to what I said. I'm taking pictures in hopes that you see yourself the way the world sees you, rather than you do. And building those interpersonal relationships helps make the picture what it's supposed to be. And that goes back to the taking the time, having the patience, and understanding the value of what that picture is gonna do. Because when I'm in that studio with the, taking a headshot, it's not just us, you're gonna post that picture on your LinkedIn, a few hundred people are gonna see it. Don't you wanna look your best? Well, yeah.
1: I always look my best. You do. No.
2: <laughs> so let's,
1: uh, th- th- on that note, let's, let's take our first break. And if okay. you've listened to the show before, you know that we, we usually ask our, our guests to select a few songs that, that resonate with them or mean something to them. And, and Asher has done that. The first song we're going to hear during this break is How Deep Is Your Love by PJ Morton
2: featuring Yeba. Can you mm-hmm. tell us why you chose this song? Well, the name of the title should help. It's from the Bee Gees, right? Right. And so I've heard that song countless times. I grew up with it. My dad loved the Bee Gees, the Fleetwood Mac, and all that stuff. So hearing that song as much as I have, and then I heard it randomly going through my YouTube listening of music and stuff like this. Yes, I use YouTube to listen to music. I found this guy, and it it was a studio session with this person. The original version is great, but as soon as they did a studio session with this song, The song itself resonates with me just from a nostalgic standpoint, but the way this guy covers the song and the tonality and the rhythm of it just made it sound way better for me, and now it's like on a somewhat weekly basis, if not a couple times a week, where I'll just put it on and groove out. Great. So this is How Deep Is Your Love by P.J. Morton featuring Yebba.
3: Yeah. I know your eyes in the morning sun
4: I feel you touch me in the pouring
3: rain And the moment that you wander from me I want to feel you in my arms again And you come to me on a summer breeze Keep me warm in your love me and it's me, it's love, how deep is your love, it's your, your love, love, your, love your love, I, I believe. my savior How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to to learn. learn. Cause we we live in a world of fools breaking us down. down. When they all should let us be. We We belong. Come on, let's say it one more time. Y'all help us. How deep. Is your love, how deep is your love, I will really me to learn. Cause we're living in a world of fools, breaking us down when they all should.
1: Time
3: for
0: that was How Deep Is Your Love by PJ Morton featuring Yeba. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan.
1: Thank you, Sophie. So we're here with Asher Swan, who's the Southern Utah University photographer, talking a lot about. The process, an idea of communicating uh, messages and imaging if through images. And let's talk about some things you've been working on uh, recently about the idea of photopsychology. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What, what, what is photopsychology and what,
2: why does it interest you? Photopsychology is basically the study of imagery and how they are be, being perceived by people, more or less. And possibly the therapeutic interventions that can be used through imagery. Um, started back, well, started with photo psychiatry, um, when, and back in 1856, a guy named Hugh Diamond, who was also a photographer during the daguerreotype photography was fairly new. It's about within this first few decades and he was a photographer and he actually got into uh, an insane asylum and was using photography to help study his patients and, um, understand their processes and help better diagnose through the imagery their process and help them um, gain uh, understanding of their uh, their psychosis as well as help other psychologists understand that visual perception and, and imagery can be used to help better understand people who may not be verbal. A lot of people didn't have words to speak, but then... Um, what was cool about Hugh Diamond was he was able to use pictures over a period of time to help these people. Like, for instance, there was one lady in there who believed that she was the queen, affluent woman. I shouldn't be here, right? But over a period of time of taking pictures of her in her insane asylum outfit, she realized over a period of time of seeing herself that she wasn't that queen, and she gained... Uh, Made strides in her her psychological process, and i don 't know eventually what happened to her, but through those images she had gained a better understanding of who she was in reality and so Hugh Diamond was one of the first people to use imagery photographs specifically to help better better diagnose his his clients but this isn 't just taking pictures of of people to do that this is this goes beyond that this goes beyond this as time goes on, obviously in two thousand. 23 things have changed and evolved um the one who really coined it was joel in 1983 he really he wrote a book called reading pictures and it really broke down the understanding of visual perception and how they can be used for therapy and in intervention and then in 2003 he and a couple other psychologists actually went to the as uh, dsm board and made it a an actual legitimate thing, and he brought a presentation, and they certified it as something that can be used in study. So, uh,
1: I, I so this is like I keep having this vision, this image in my mind of a Clockwork Orange, right? You know how we mm-hmm. pry his eyes open and watch the watch the film to, to mm-hmm. get them to think a certain way. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to distinguish exactly how this idea works, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not like I show you a picture of a of something and you mm-hmm. tell me how you feel about mm-hmm. it. This is this is bigger than
2: that. Yes. So there was a uh, so Hugh Diamond started it and Robert Akerrat came back in introducing photo analysis, established the use of family photographs in psychotherapy. So as I was saying before, he would use the pictures of the family and then he would have them talk about what was going on in those scenes. And then through those assertions, he was able to kind of depict and and discern what was going on through the images and then correlate to what was happening in the real life. So it's not necessarily sitting down like clockwork Orange and you're staring at pictures and giving answers. It's taking, from his standpoint, taking pictures that have already been taken and then taking the information of how those pictures were taken, where they were placed. There's a picture of the Kennedys, for example, right? And you have um, JFK and the sons are sitting right next to him, right? And then you have the mom and the sons are sitting next to them. Her and the three daughters are off on the far right. And you have to wonder, why did they pose them like that? And it's reason to believe that the men in the Kennedy family were of a higher stature. They were destined for greatness. So they're going to stand with the father and the mother. Well, the women may not have been seen that way. So they placed them in a different spot. So thinking about it from that standpoint and thinking about how pictures, how people take pictures, first in standpoint, of the photographer, but then also how people are posed in the pictures. Robert Akeret was able to use some of that information to discern and analyze how to how to use that information to help. Him.
1: I, I just wonder, though, how much is the so in the Kennedy example, mm-hmm. what's to say it's not just the photographer that says, let's do it this way. I mean, I guess what, what I'm thinking of is that as a as a photographer, when you take a picture, we are getting your viewpoint mm-hmm. of that image of whatever you're trying to. To con- convey right I mean mm-hmm. it's not like you know I-, I get the idea of capturing time, but we're capturing time in the way you see time mm-hmm. represented.
2: and that's something that Joel Margovsky brings into play is it's not just the photograph, it's who's taking the photograph. and we can do a whole analyzation of the photographer and what they're looking at and how they're taking the pictures as compared to once a photographer's taking the picture and only looking at the picture itself. So you're right, it is about the photographer and how they're setting up the scene, but it also plays into light of how the Kennedys wanted to be photographed, mm-hmm. you know, and having that conversation, those interpersonal relationships of how it's laid out.
1: Yeah, we have the same conversation in, not the same, a similar conversation when we talk in public history where we talk about this idea of historical markers or monuments, and they often say more about the people that create them than the people they're about. Right. Right. Is that we celebrate certain events and this certainly is, you know, especially more present now. When we talk about Confederate monuments mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. But but this idea of what we choose to commemorate or to to our display or honor mm-hmm. it really says a lot more about us than the events that we're honoring ourselves. And exactly. I would imagine that if you look through your phone reel, you know, your, your photos on your phone. Right. You know, you you could probably tell a lot about someone based upon the types of pictures they take versus
2: on what those pictures are. Exactly. And what they're interested in. And, and even there, there might be similarities in the lighting and, and everything like that. So yes, Joel Markovsky, was that was one of his big proponents is while we're talking about photos as a whole, we have to think about the creator and where their head's at and how they are taking the picture, where their head's at, what they're feeling, and everything in between. And it's this amalgamation of what I want to see, but it's also about what I know the audience wants to see as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true because you, you are considering the audience
1: almost as much, right? Mm-hmm. I keep thinking of... You know, the, I, the the person who is at the Taylor Swift concert that's sitting way, way in the back mm-hmm. and is going to take a photograph where it's either all blurry because they've tried to make it so big or Taylor Swift is just so small right. because the photo is not about Taylor Swift. No. The photo is about the fact that they're at that they're concert. at that
2: concert. They're having a moment and that moment is now forever saved.
1: And, and they will remember when they see that photo, mm-hmm. not specifically Taylor Swift or what she was wearing, but... Them. This is who I was with. This was that event, exactly. and this is how that works. Exactly, and and so, I mean, motivation of the photographer, wh- whether it's a professional or not, is is pretty Keep, significant.
2: Pretty significant in in just what their where their heads at. And sometimes they are moments like that for the Taylor Swift concert of take the picture of here, put it away, and pull it up whenever I want to show my friends or post on Instagram. But more often than not, those tend to be just quick little moments as compared to something that's more grandiose where you take the photographer who's been hired to be at that taylor swift concert he has a goal he has a mission his his whole trajectory of how he's going to photograph that concert is way different right because his audience is the millions of people are going to see this picture and he's been paid to do that in the best way possible so what what do
1: you take pictures of in your quick little moments I mean, what are the pictures that are just f- for
2: you? I mean, not, you know what I mean? Um, I find myself taking pictures of texture, up close shots. Um, one of the things I used to do as a kid was I would give myself photo challenges that I would give myself a circle about 10 foot radius and I couldn't shoot anything outside of that circle. And after the first you know two, three minutes, you're done and you gotta start really thinking outside the box. And because of that, I've honed myself into liking a lot of more up-close shots and playing with textures and seeing the things that most people would walk by and just not even pay attention to. But I look by and I'm like, oh, look at that thing down there. And so that's what I tend to have on my phone is interesting shots of textures and leaves and rocks and things that just stand out to me as I go on my walks.
1: So you you
2: could say that because of what you do, you think you're more observant than, than oh, others. Man. That's, I mean, that's one of my mottos is never stop looking. Um, uh, Sam Abel was a National Geographic photographer. And one of the fa- my favorite quotes is, life is always moving around you. You just have to be there to capture it. And so one of the things I love doing here, and it may seem weird for some people as they're walking around campus, is I'll just stand in a spot at a certain time that I know there's going to be action. And I'll wait, and I'll just wait for that one student to walk by, that, and it's just perfect, because I've composed my shot, I'm part of life, it's all happening around me. But here I have an opportunity to capture this moment in front of me the best way possible. So I'll just sit and wait. And eventually that person comes by, they're wearing the right, right shirt, they're looking up, they're looking engaged, they're amongst of other, a couple other people who aren't picking their noses and doing weird things, boom, you got a cool picture, you know. And so a lot of it is timing and patience. And so going back to the photo psychology thing is perception is everything, right? And so if I just stood there for that five seconds, boom, took my picture and moved on, Would that picture I took in that five seconds have the same resonance as me taking five, 10 minutes, sometimes 20 to wait for that same student, that one student that makes the picture seem a little more, you know, resonant and more profound? Yeah. So have you ever taken a picture where you think to yourself,
1: this is it? I mean, this is like Pulitzer. This is, this is good stuff. And you give it to your colleagues, you give it to somebody else and they're like, oh yeah, okay, great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It happens a lot. Happens a lot. <laughs> do, you, do you need a tissue? You're tearing up a little bit, you're I will say the thing that's interesting for me, and this happens way more often than not, it's part of this whole letting go thing. You're in your, your head. I would say more often than not, after I cover an event, I've gotten all the shots. I look through my, my screen. I see all the images. Okay, I got everything. As I'm walking away, something will happen, and I'll take that picture, and that'll be better than everything that I just spent an hour taking. And I think it correlates to while I'm in that hour, I'm focused. I got to get the shot. I'm zoned. I got to get my wide angle. I got to get this. I got to get this. And once I've let go of that process, then all of a sudden something else happens that I would have never thought about because I was so focused on being in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. So once, once you've got it, then you really get it.
1: Yeah, right. Because you've got yeah. you, you fulfilled the parameters of your mission, if you will. Yeah, and so it's like, well, and then that's when you you're free to mm-hmm. to do what you want to do, right, or to take what you want to take. So, uh, you, you've talked about visual perception, and you brought this up to me the other you know,
2: recently about something called the TAT test. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what that is? Uh, the Thematic perception Test was developed in the 1930s by let me remember his name, Henry A. Murray and Christina D. Morgan from Harvard University. And it was was an interesting kind of study that Murray, she was a professor, and one of her students came to her and told her that my son is ill, but he keeps telling me these stories off of these pictures, right? Just random stories that he would just tell off these pictures. And she wondered, is there a way we can kind of make this a more understanding things so I can get more of a understanding of what he's telling me. And so her and her colleague went in and they found a way to create analogous, what's the word? Ambiguous, ambiguous images, black and white. And what they would do is they took the test and they would sit down people and um, they would basically have them do, let me see, what are the fourth questions? So what has led up to the event shown? right what is happening in the moment what are the characters what the characters are feeling and thinking and what the outcome of the story was and what they would do is they would have the person sit down for five ten minutes analyze the picture and then write down what they got this is some random photo just random very innocuous black and white no real direction of how the person's feeling there's no energy it's just very innocuous to a degree And so these people would write these stories, and then these psychologists would take those and then just start asking questions. Why do you think that person was feeling sad in that picture? Can you tell me about that? Oh really, okay, cool, tell me, okay. Then what about this over here? And it's all perception of how that one person is taking that innocuous image and creating a whole narrative based off of nothing. And it's all their own brain that's creating it. And then they would take this information and use it in therapeutic interventions and understanding what that person, where that person was at, how they were feeling, and things like that. And they still do that. Still, it's not as used as much anymore. In the seventies, it was brought up again. Um, it was pretty heavily used in the seventies, and not so much anymore. No,
1: hmm.
2: but I, I would like to reinvent it because it is something that's almost a hundred years old now, and I think the evolution of photography warrants a chance to see how people would perceive similar images just done differently in a more twenty twenty three setting. Yeah. Yeah, interesting
1: ideas. Let's uh let's move to our next break, if we can. This yes. is a song that you chose called Skin by Rag and Bone Man.
2: Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about this? Um this guy has an amazing voice. Um it's very soulful and a couple other song a couple other of his songs really resonate with me. But this one it just has I don't know. You got to listen to it to understand it. But as I listen to it, it just reminds me of how it's, it's more than just what we're portraying. You know, we're all going through our own stuff. And you just got to take time to be present for it and be aware of it and work through it. Work through it.
1: That's right. So this is Skin by Rag and Bone
2: Man
5: when i heard that sound when the walls came down i was thinking about you about you where my skin grows old where my breath grows cold i'll be thinking about you about you seconds from my heart i pull it from the door helpless i surrender
3: you no
5: it was almost we bleed ourselves in vain how tragic is this game turn around i'm holding on to someone but the love is gone carrying the load with wings i feel like stone knowing that we need the so far now it's hard to tell yeah we came so close It was almost long, it was almost long, it was almost long,
3: when I heard that sound,
5: I feel your hand when the walls were caving in. But I see you on the other side. We can try all over again. When I It was almost love. It was almost love.
0: That was Skin by Rag and Bone Man. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan.
1: Thank you, Sophie. So I'm thinking here, you know, you, you have taken a lot of photographs. Uh, yeah. For for work and for 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 your own interest and for other professional gigs, those kinds of things. So, you know, we, we talk about the, the shutter button, the clicker, right? Mm -hmm. When you, when you, when your finger is hovering over that button, Mm -hmm. right? What, what is
2: happening? What is waiting? What causes you to push that button? You know, that's kind of what I want to know. I think that, That's probably the most resonating question in my head as a photographer who has taken hundreds of thousands of images is what's happening in my brain. Um, My degree is in behavioral neurological science, so I'm always wondering what's happening in the brain, Brain brain-based behavior, right? So one of the studies I would love to do in my time in, in either here at SUU or somewhere else is to understand what actually happens in the brain when a photographer takes all of that information he's gained through his years and decides that that moment, that composition, that lighting, that that gesture that that speaker's doing is the moment. And so that, I don't know, that's just a very intrinsic thing for me because, I mean, like I said, I've taken hundreds of thousands of images. So to take all of that and sum it up into a hundredth of a second, where in the brain is that firing off to let me know to send that signal to take the picture? Hmm. So... Who
1: who inspires you? What are the photographers that that we should be looking at if we want to understand your work and your methodology?
2: Oh, man. This is going to sound really bad, but is it bad that I don't... Um, well, there are. There are a few out there. A um, little unorthodox, but David LaChapelle is one of my favorite. Um, Sam Abel, as I was saying... Um, uh gosh there was another guy Joel Grimes he's a portrait photographer but honestly like and this is going to sound weird but I don't really f- like geek out on other photographers I really don't and I've, I've thought about that through the years like okay I want to work with this guy I want to intern under this guy or I want to mimic this guy this guy's doing the great stuff and I'll look at their work and I'll be aspired to kind of work in that realm and get to their level but as far as like like being Ansel Adams, I'm going to be the next landscape photographer. It's not really my flow. I tend to rock to the beat of a different drum and do my own thing and take bits and pieces of other photographers. But to say that like favorites, I don't can't say I honestly have one. I usually go for the older ones. Um, so on your
1: bookshelf, on my bookshelf. in your house or in your office, there's not a a, a, a book or two of people's work that that you think is fascinating there
2: are books but they're books of pictures themselves of other like New York Times best or Times Magazine's 100 best images and so those are the things I tend to look at I look at the compendium of images rather than one photographer I look at the history of images I look at um, so that's what you'll probably find on my bookshelf is more picture books of older photographers taking pictures and it's a whole book of several different people in there so, what's the best picture you've ever seen?
1: When you say this is a photograph, what's the best, best picture that I've ever seen? Yeah, the one that, uh, you know, you people people see a painting and they buy the print and put in their house. What what's a photo that uh, that you look at and say, you know, like the, the iconic photo of the civil rights marchers, you know, with the dark sky and the. The flag behind it or the the iconic photo of the it's, flag it's, raising at Iwo Jima. What is the photo? It's,
2: it's the Kennedy son saluting. As his dad's ca- casket dad's, goes by? I think that picture really resonates with me. Um, just because of the what it means for the country, what it means for him, his actual understanding that his dad is dad and past, and to have the wherewithal as a young boy to have the presence of mind to salute, you know is he doing that because he's doing it on his own, or is he seeing these other military people doing it? How is that affecting him? Um, another one that really resonates with me is the the Buddhist that set himself on fire mm-hmm. that 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 story in itself is great, um, but the picture itself has such a powerful meaning of of peaceful protest, even though it seems so violent, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think we all have one of those photographs that just uh, you can't you can't look away from, or that causes you deep
2: deep thought. I and that mean, and that's goes back to photography. Photography evokes emotion, right? It's, it, it, I mean, you and the, you can I both could look at a picture of a puppy, and we're going to feel different things about it, right? Or it's just how photography is such an evocative thing, and 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 how we're, we perceive them is so individualistic in how our world, how we were raised, how it relates to us. Some people look at a puppy picture and be like, "Eh, it's just a puppy." Other people be like, "Oh my god, it's a puppy." You know, and and that in itself makes photography so interesting because you never know how people are going to perceive your image and you hope that it's going to work the way you want and you're going to they're going to feel the emotion that you were that you're trying to transpire.
1: So, I realize this might be a difficult question to answer, but I'd like you to try. Is that and, and this doesn't have to be in your entire career, but but recently or, or one that sticks in your mind in, in your mind. OK. What is the best photo you've ever taken? And secondly, what is the one you missed? What is the time when you thought?
2: Oh. Um, one of my oh gosh, it's hard to even say this. So it's. That silica series, my glass series, Uh Um, it's one of those pictures in there. It's probably one of my favorite pictures, and by all means, it's a few hundred thousand pictures past, but it was literally the last picture I took on one night. I was up till three o'clock in the morning. I've been working on this glass series. I've been, it's like six different lights. I got colored gels. I got music going. I'm in my zone, and when that picture popped up on my screen, it was like, I don't know. Just the the way it looked, the way the shape, the the resonance, the feeling, and everything. It just took everything that I've been trying to portray in this glass series and put it all into one image. I wish, I, I wish we were on the
1: radio. I could show it to you. Well, we can we can see if we can get it on the web. So, why don't you tell us what the
2: glass series is and what you were trying to accomplish with it? Um, it's the silica. My glass series is called silica, and it's basically a series of. <laughs> Unique-shaped glass that I've set up to be photographed in my studio using different colored gels. And depending on the colors I use, will hopefully invoke a different emotion. Reds and oranges, a little more higher energy as compared to my purples and blues, which are a little more subdued and calm. And for me, it's creating emotion through something simple as just a simple glass shape. And I call it silica because it's just glass. It used to be sand but now it's been melted down and shaped into something and beyond that I'm taking that shape and creating something even more beautiful right and so it's all about color theory it's all about feeling it's all about sim- taking something simple and making it more so was there one time that you thought oh, I missed it um yes I was at NASCAR I covered NASCAR three years in a row for when I was a photojournalist. And um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was um, up on stage and um, just my my was messing with my buttons. And he was there for a brief moment and he passed. And I don't know, my dad's a big NASCAR fan and it's, I wanted to get that picture for him. And then there was this other one where I was covering a fire and there was, I got a different picture that ended up getting me an award, but there was another one that I knew was was going to be even better, um, but this air uh, tanker was going over a house and dropping its load, and I missed focus. So you have the picture, but it's completely blurry because I was at a depth of field that would have just thrown it all off, so you really even couldn't determine what it was. But then I followed up later and ended up getting a shot that was not nearly as set up and not nearly as planned. It was like, holy crap, here he comes. And let me grab my. I was actually in my car about to drive away because a fire was coming towards me and the cops were like, you need to get out of here. But I'm like, there's a plane coming. I'm going to take my picture. And so I ended up getting that picture and I ended up getting an award at the end of the year as best photo journal, photo of the year news story or something, breaking news story. And that was the fire in New Harmony. Oh, wow. Back in the day. So, uh, if someone
1: wanted to see these images, do you have a an Instagram or, or where where could they find your images on the web if they wanted to look at and see? Um,
2: my website Asher, asherswanphoto that has my glass series on it. It actually has a, I think the picture that I was talking about on there. My Instagram is Um Yeah, th- those are the two areas you'd probably be able to find most of my work right now. Cool. And
1: and of course on the SU website and uh, yes. and anything SU.edu SU yeah. It's pretty <laughs> it's much guaranteed that I portfolio took that, took that photo. So let's take our, our third and final break before we get into the last segment. This is a song called Colors by Black Pumas. Can you tell me why you chose this one? It just sounds awesome. I don't I
2: could go into a whole diatribe of that, but I just love the the way it comes off and if you the energy of it the feeling of it it's just every time i put it on the the first few riffs of the guitar just puts me in, a, in an amazing state and i can go forward and just groove all right colors by black pumas
0: colors by black pumas you are listening to the apex radio hour here on KCUU thunder 91.1 i'll turn it back to you ryan
1: thanks sophie so asher this is the final segment and if you've listened to our show before we always end as we go around the studio with this question because we all believe that our story should involve some joy and we want to help spread that so here's the question asher swan mm-hmm. what are you currently watching Reading, listening to or playing that is bringing you joy? What am I watching, listening to, playing, or what? Or reading. Or reading. You can choose one of them. You don't have to do all of them.
2: Oh, gosh. Um, I recently got back into the show called (laughs) Lie to Me. Um, It's a show basically based off of micro-expressions and and basically the guy helps out the police in determining whether someone's lying or not and I watched the show when I was a young budding psychology student and because I was in neurological and behavioral stuff I was really into that show and now I've opened up the can of worms again because I just recently saw the lead actor in a different movie and I was like I kind of want to revisit that so that in itself as far as watching but as far as I don't know I don't want to go on a tangent we'll leave it there okay
1: lie to me don't lie to me Evan Miller, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy?
0: Yeah, so um, pretty much everything I'm doing this semester is either school, work, or wedding planning. So uh, me and Izzy have recently been on the hunt for a first dance song. So I've just listened to lots of different music and doing lots of different stuff in that sort, but... Um, a new artist that uh, my fiance is really familiar with but I'm not is Thomas Rhett so we've been listening to a lot of him lately and it's, it's good stuff I'm not big into to country but it's a country genre that I, I really like so.
1: I bet you Asher and I could give you a whole list of first dance songs yeah,
0: yeah. I'd take yeah. suggestions
1: okay much. Uh, Evan Miller at gmail.com for your first uh, first dance songs Sophie Javage, what are you currently watching reading listening to or playing that is bringing you joy
0: okay so I feel like every time we get on here I talk about some new movie or show that I'm watching but I love watching different movies or TV shows that have something to do with something I'm like not familiar with at all and we were talking to the judges today and the one judge was talking about how she hates watching like legal or law shows because they're never like correct but one of the shows that I am currently watching that I love (laughs) is Suits, and I just got my whole family into it, and I just, I love having something to bond over, so every time I, like, call my parents or something, my dad will be like, oh my gosh, we just got to this part, or, like, I can't believe this happened, or, like, did you see this, and I don't know, that brings me a lot of joy, having something to share with my family, and i just also love watching something i know nothing about like it's a whole new world and apparently it's not accurate but i still enjoy watching it it's good drama passes the time i guess so yeah okay ryan what are you currently watching reading listening to or playing that is bringing you joy
1: tis the season and what is bringing me joy is the 30th anniversary re-release of the nightmare before christmas which by far is one of the greatest movies ever made. This, this is the film that I have seen in the theaters more times than any other. It's not like, watch, like streaming it or watching it on a DVD. This is the film that I have seen in the movie theater more than anything else. And I have a five-year-old daughter, and we, uh, we took her, my wife and I, to... She loves the movie. We took her to it, and she bopped her head the whole way through. And I loved every minute of it. We were with another friend and his family and their four-year-old, five-year-old son was so enamored that he stood up on the chair and said, I am the pumpkin King. So what is bringing me joy this week is the nightmare before Christmas at the movie theater here in Cedar city.
0: Not the Taylor Swift concert movie, not the
1: Taylor Swift concert movie. Shame. So, yep, yeah, but, but uh, you know, there's always hope there's always next time next week. Maybe that'll be next,
0: next Tuesday. Five so, Tuesday.
1: Thank you, Astra Swan. Thank you yeah. for being here for the Apex Radio Hour. We're going to go out with me. another song that you chose. Kay. This is a song called Texas Sun by oh. Krungbin and Leon
2: Bridges. Why did you choose this? Because I just love Leon Bridges. There's another song that I like by him, but this one, um, I lived in Texas for a long time, and it was introduced to me, This specific song was introduced to me by one of the chefs in Dallas, Texas, and he's like, you've heard of Leon Bridges? Yeah. Have you heard this song? no and I wouldn't listen to it and now it's just part of my repeating songs
1: okay thanks everyone for listening to the Apex Radio Hour we will see you next week for uh, Sophie Javaj and Evan Miller this is Texas Sun by Krungbin and Leon Bridges there you go
4: Oh, yeah. yeah.